Yeah, this. uh-oh. You were breaking up a little bit. No, am I? You did for a second. You got a little like... <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Just my husband about that. <laughs> You'd probably be inclined to agree. <laughs> Hi, we're Cara and Jill, two trainers, owners of Push Fitness, and the hosts of this podcast. During training sessions with our clients, we often tell them to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And we're saying that right now to you too. Let's push ourselves. Let's push ourselves to see fitness differently. Let's push the envelope when it comes to self-love. Let's push a new narrative about women and weight. Let's push out harmful ideas about the body that are rooted in racism and patriarchy. Let's find a new definition of fitness that welcomes all people. You ready? I'm ready. Let's push push it. it. Hello and welcome to the Push Podcast. This is Season 1, Episode 3. And we are coming to you during the crazy time that is 2020. So... 2020 mm-hmm. is not giving up. How are you, how are you holding up, Cara? Oh, you know, uh, uh, hiding from my children in a different room now and uh, locked in the house now for the second day in a row. So, yes. So yes. good. So good. If you are listening to this, um, we, are, we are recording this episode um, in the middle of some wildfires. There are a lot of wildfires in our area. Um, many people that we know and care about have been evacuated from their homes. Some have lost their homes. The air in our town is thick, ashy, mm-hmm. smoky, and we've basically been locking ourselves inside. So it's been, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Great. It, yeah. Yesterday, the sun never broke through. So it was super eerie because the sky was dark red the entire day and it was dark outside. And the only person who loved it was my four-year-old who said that it looked like we were living inside of a (laughs) (laughs) jack-o'-lantern. Oh, I love his optimism. I, I wish I had a little more of that. (laughs) What a positive spin. Right. And this is coming off of like this, the last couple days have just been kind of crazy. Um, You know, we live in our state's capital, so we tend to attract um, a lot of the, I mean, there are protests going on all over the country right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but there have been protests going on in the Capitol now for quite some time. And we also live in a very, um, like Oregon is very white. And some of the uh, smaller cities around the Capitol are extremely conservative and um, right, well, racist. <laughs> and yeah, so let's call it what we, it is. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Um, so we're getting a lot of people coming in, um, doing these all lives matter, um, Trump rallies and they have gotten very violent. Like Mm -hmm. they've come in and, you know, shooting paint balls at people and macing people. And the day, the day that the smoke rolled in, um, that night they had, uh, chased down several people and beat them with pipes and, like, it's just 
it's just very ugly here right now. Like it's just, it's just feels sort of ominous coming at you in all these different directions. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. It was like that, that happened. And, and that's not uh, like, that's not a new thing that's happening either. Like we, we acknowledge that that's, that's happened for a long time and it's going to, it, but the smoke rolling in on that same day that that video was surfacing was like, it just felt like everything closing in. And we felt like it was really important for our episode today to be about um, anti-racism work, to be about what that means for us as trainers in the fitness industry and in our personal mm-hmm. lives. And we, that's what today's episode is about. Yes. Yeah. Black Lives Matter and the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. We are going to be delving into it. Um, I want to say that we are approaching this topic as two cis white women. Mm-hmm. And so our goal is not to be experts in this topic, but to call in our people. We are, we are not anti-racism educators. We are not experts in that area, but there are plenty of people who are. Um, and we would suggest that you go and learn from these people, pay them for their time and their work, because this is their livelihood in so many ways, but financial is one of them as well. So seek them out, pay them, learn from them. Those are the people that you can learn from. Those are the people that you should be following and paying attention to. Um, our, our role here as two white cis women is to call in our people, meaning that we have a responsibility to share where we stand and to um, get those people into our spaces that share those same values. But some of the people that we follow include Chrissy King from Chrissy King Fitness. Mm-hmm. Rachel Cargill um, is an amazing anti-racism educator. Um, Abram X. Kendi. Um, who else? Monique Melton. Yes. Is very good. Um, uh, decolonizing Fitness. Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, trying to think of who else. I mean, you'll start picking up more and more of these people. I know that we're forgetting some people that are integral parts of this movement. Um, But as you start following some of them, you'll start seeing how they work together with other people and you can start sort of diversifying your feed and also getting more, more information and more like follow more people who are doing the same work. Yes. And if you are just getting started, like if you are, um, new to the whole Black Lives Matter movement, new to the whole anti-racism thing. Um, there, well, <laughs> there is some privilege in that, being new to that. But mm-hmm. also, um, if you are new to that and you do want to do some work, those are some great places to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I would just like to add that um, while you are learning, and all of this is kind of coming into your brain on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Um, It might not be a good idea to just start sliding into the DMs of those people and asking a lot of questions. Um, It's good that you are curious and you're asking questions. So we don't want to like say, you know, but you also don't want to ask for time 
and effort from these people for free. So pay for their courses, um, do a little research um, to see if you can find the answers to those questions, and then, you know, buy their books, buy their courses, attend their seminars, do their workshops, that kind of thing. Yes, 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 yes. Do not just start hitting them up for free information. <laughs> that is a no-go. Right. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so as far as where we're coming from, it's also, we talked about this a little bit that whether to even do this episode at all, mm -hmm. because um, it, in a way we are centering ourselves within this movement and that's, that isn't our intention. Um, our intention is to sort of call in our listeners who we're pretty sure a lot of our listeners at this point are probably um, white um, female identifying women. And so um, we, we want to kind of talk about our journey so that if you're also having conversations with your friends and family, that um, maybe you have some tools to go into those conversations with. And also to talk about why it's important in the fitness industry, because a lot of times we don't even realize how systemic racism has seeped into every crevice of our culture. And it is absolutely seeped into the fitness industry mm -hmm. and so what we can do as far as our messaging goes and our thoughts about our own bodies when we are approaching our own fitness yes yeah so some of some of the ways that we have called in our own people is by having these hard conversations with our family and friends and i say hard not because like we as white people are suffering from these conversations, but it's hard in the fact that you may discover that some of your friends and family cling on to um, a pretty internalized racist worldview and may be unwilling or unable to let that go. And at that point, you kind of have to make a decision. No, not kind of, you have to make a decision about where you're going to go with that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I have, um, I've had conversations with some of our clients, <laughs> we've had some conversations with, um, like my husband and my mom and my kids, um, for a little bit of a background, I was married to a black man and I do have a biracial son. Mm -hmm. It's gets even more interesting in that, um, my biracial son doesn't really look black. He's very light skinned. And so on top of talking about race, we also need to talk about privilege with him. And we also need to find ways constantly to honor all the different parts of him. Um, he tends to feel sort of caught in the middle a lot where he's not black enough to be black, but he's not also not white. And he very much identifies with his black side. Um, so navigating that has been sort of tricky for me as a parent, um, but it's extremely important. It's something that I'm always learning. And, you know, when you're a parent, you want to do everything right because you don't want to mess up your kids the way you might perceive your parents messed you up. <laughs> but, but so it's very important. And, um, but I also have realized that 
anti-racism work, just like parenting is not always perfect and you don't always do the right thing the first time. And so um, it's been a process and it's been good because it's really left the door open for a lot of conversations. Um, And so those are, those are a lot of the conversations that we're having right now in in our house. Um, Funny enough, just this morning, um, my mom came down to get something that Oliver, my son, my mom lives with us. She lives upstairs. We live downstairs. Um, She came downstairs to get something that my son had taken downstairs and she used the term Indian giver. And I was like, okay, mom, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> I was like, I was like, let's talk about that. And so, and my mom is oh, very no. open. My mom, but my mom grew up in a very like conservative Catholic Italian household. Um, I, I think that some of the family has kind of come around, but some of them has very much not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of things kind of left in her vocabulary and even thought process that, um, that she's really working to learn. Like, I've been really excited to see how, how involved she has been lately in really actively learning about anti-racism. She's been listening to lots of books and going to book studies and really kind of opening her mind. And this is a woman who at one point like wanted to go to Jamaica to teach drums like to the people there, like, <laughs> which I don't know if there's a level above cultural appropriation, but that was absolutely where, <laughs> where she was at. And I love her, <laughs> but like, just like some of the, the, the largest offenses as, as far as, as that kind of stuff goes, like my family has definitely been there. Um, so, um, so yeah, so having a lot of conversations with my mom about like, well, you know, let's explore why this thing bothers you. Like when she was reading a book and she's like, gosh, it just sounds like he hates white people. And I'm like, well, it sounds to me like he's got a lot of reason to, <laughs> like, why, why does that bother you so much? And, um, and really when approaching these conversations with somebody that you love, for me, it's been really helpful to ask questions, to not, not to say like, well, of course, this morning when my mom said Indian giver, I was like, mom, that's racist. <laughs> you didn't ask her. stole her. I didn't need to, I didn't need it to del- delve into that one. But like, you know, somebody's like, gosh, I'm uncomfortable with this thing or this, this statement is making me uncomfortable or, you know, it's like, well, why is that? And let's get to the bottom of that. And like, like, have you thought about it from this perspective? And what do you think that person's feeling? Um, because a lot of times, you know, the way that we think and our defensiveness is so like steeped in white supremacy and white privilege that it's very hard for us to think outside of that sometimes. But then once you start getting practice at it, it's really, it can be really easy to spot. Um, Mm -hmm. even if it's still happening, like I have times when I still feel defensive. Um, but I'm able to like, I'm able to, to recognize it and unpack it. Mm -hmm. And so um, yeah. So don't think no, nobody's there. Like, no, like, like Jill and I are not woke and that's it. We're done. Like, no, no. 
this is this is ongoing work and like really if you're listening to this and you're like gosh you really missed the mark on something just know that we are very open to hearing about that we absolutely want to hear about it so that we can continue to get better Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was going to say when you were talking about that and being open to unpacking those things, that is one of the key things that I found in doing this work for myself and my family is that I just got used to being uncomfortable. And actually, you know, it, it was, it was an eye opening moment for my husband um, surrounding the uh, the murder of George Floyd when he went to the grocery store and he said, well, I just, just feeling kind of like, you know, anxious and angry and scared and just like the whole, like the whole atmosphere was heavy. And it occurred to him that that is how black and brown people and people of color feel every single day. Mm-hmm. And so just having that knowledge and recognizing it and calling himself out on it was a huge, uh, a huge thing for him. So for, for my family and I, you know, my husband is pretty open and is willing to do the work and is, and is continuing to learn alongside me. We have our conversations with our children. Our children are little, like I mentioned before, um, at this time in life, they are four, two and 10 months. And with my four-year-old, um, we actually purchased the book um, Anti-Racist Baby by Ibram X. Kendi and have read that with him and the two-year-old a couple of times. And he has had some great questions. And uh, I, I might have missed the mark a little bit on one of them. <laughs> so there's there's a section in the book um, where it talks about, in, in, ch- in children's terms, where it talks about systems being in place where some people get more and some people get less. And we were talking about how in our society, how white people uh, typically get more and black and brown people get less. And he goes, and so he's kind of like, oh, so I'm going to get more. Yeah. (laughs) Like, wait. (laughs) Yes. So a little bit of a fail there, but we worked it out. He he was like, oh, yes, everybody should all have the same. And we worked that out. But so it's Mm -hmm. never too early to start having these conversations with your children. Um, and I, I want them to grow up um, knowing about these things, talking about these things and knowing that it's okay to talk about these things. That's, that was one of my biggest roadblocks in the beginning mm-hmm. when I started really del- diving into this work was that I grew up in a, a pretty conservative Christian home and we didn't talk about that stuff because we weren't supposed to. We were taught mm-hmm. that that is not something you speak of, not something you talk about, don't see color, you know, everybody's equal. And it's not, that's not the world that we live in. And kind of being shook out of that um, world was really eye opening for me. And I would say within my family system with my, my brothers, my sister, my parents, I'm probably mm-hmm. the most open. Um, but starting to have these conversations with them, I very quickly learned um, who was open to those discussions and to learning and who was not. And mm-hmm. there have been some really huge um, divides within my own family. And I got to the point where it just like, it's worth it to me to do the right thing and to, and to move forward in creating 
in the ways that I can, creating a better future for the people that live here in this country and in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting when you talk about how Sam went into the grocery store and had that realization. Um, I had a moment like that last week where um, my son who, um, you know, he's 12 now and he's sprouted up this year. He's taller than my mom. His shoulders are broadening. And, you know, like, I feel like depending upon what he wears, like if he's he wearing like a hoodie or something, I worry about him more than other times. Mm-hmm. And he was out walking our dog, who's also a pit bull. So there's all these kind of dynamics here mm-hmm. happening. And um, I was teaching a class in our garage. Our gym is in our garage right now. And um, a police officer started driving by and drove by slowly, like looking into our yard and into the gym and all around our house five times. And twice I even ran out into the street to like flag him down to ask him what he was doing. And he did not stop to talk to me. He just kept driving. And all the the time my son is out walking the dog. And I started to feel terrified. Mm-hmm. Like, did our neighbors call the cops on us? Because I know one of our neighbors does not appreciate our dog. Um, which is a whole nother thing. It's <laughs> like, another um, episode. That's another episode. <laughs> Getting along with your neighbors. Um, and so I was like, gosh, should we, did somebody call the cops? And now my son, who now looks like a man walking this pit bull around our very white neighborhood. Um, you know, does somebody call the cops on him and is he in danger? Mm-hmm. And um, it was terrifying. Like I was texting Jill cause I was trying to teach class and I'm like, when do I bail? And like, like, am I making too big of a deal about this? Like kind of like gaslighting myself and trying to like, mm-hmm. like figure out like, like if something happened to him and I hadn't done anything, like how would I feel or, but, um, there are, there are families that live with this kind of fear on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, it turned out that the cop was looking for an, an old person that had wandered away from an, um, a home, but, um, it was, it was really eye-opening to me in the same way mm-hmm. where um, although I've had a lot of these conversations with Diedrich and with the rest of my family, um, it hadn't hit home. Like I hadn't, I hadn't felt the fear in real time like that yet. Mm-hmm. And so um, especially when tensions are high, like there's, I saw a post just the other day of someone in the city very close to here that her son is also mixed and he was surrounded in a parking lot and being threatened. And when the cops did come to, because I think somebody had called the cops, they pulled a gun on her son, not on the people who were surrounding him and threatening him. And they're moving out of Oregon because they're too afraid to to stay here any longer. Mm-hmm. And so these, I keep seeing more of these kind of things happening. And um, 
it is becoming clear to me that this will, this, this kind of thing is going to be more, um, is going to be kind of more in my, in our face for quite some time. Like I, I, I think that the protests are good. I think that the work that is being done right now is so important, but it is sort of dragging to the surface all of the ugliness that has been hidden from a lot of us white people for a long time. And now we're seeing it and it's, it's, um, it is, it's sad and scary and sometimes makes me feel very guilty and it makes me really, really angry. Yeah. Yeah. I, as you're telling that story too, about, about, going out to flag down the officer and one of the thoughts that i had was would a parent of color felt safe to do that and the answer is is no um of -hmm. course they wouldn't and so as these things kind of pop up what what we're saying really is that once you start to see it you don't unsee it and Mm -hmm. that's when you get to make the choice of are you going to put your head back down in the sand or are you going to um, continue to work on your own internal biases and call out other people's because all of this ugliness rising to the surface being hidden for so long and white people seeing it for maybe the first time that is saturated with white privilege. It is saturated with white supremacy and it was it was intentional. It was man-made. And that, like, like I said earlier, we're not anti-racism educators, so we won't go into the ins and outs of that because we are not the experts there. But the reason that we're telling you our stories is so that you can know that we are very imperfect people. We are learning um, and we are willing to to continue to learn and to receive that feedback. And one of the other reasons we bring this up is because for our business in the fitness industry, we want it to be very intentional about where we stand on these issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as a business, it has always been really important that Jill and I create an inclusive space. And so this was a deliberate decision. Like this was written into our um, our mission statement and our core values as a company. Um, we decided as a business that um, we want the public to know where we stand on political issues. And that was deliberate. Um, we know that a lot of businesses have chosen to opt out of that. Um, but honestly, we feel like if we stay silent on issues like this, then we are complicit in white privilege and white supremacy. And that is not the core value that we wish to build our business on. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we made a deliberate decision and we have gotten some pushback on that. We've gotten some like, well, you know, like, why don't you just talk about fitness? And believe me, we will discuss that in a second. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about fitness. Um, <laughs> We will, because fitness and racism are also very intertwined. Mm -hmm. Um, So we also try to be active in the Black Lives Matter movement in our community Mm -hmm. um, as 
as mothers, uh, it's very important to us to approach it um, with our children as well and um, to talk about it from a parenting perspective as well as a fitness perspective. Um, we support Black-owned businesses in our community and really anytime we can. If we have to buy something or we need a service or things like that, we, um, we make sure that when we spend money, we try to spend it in a place that um, supports similar ideals that, as we do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that for so long, like we've been as business owners, business owners have been taught for so long to keep politics out of their business so that they're not limiting themselves to um, certain customers or excluding other customers. And I got to say like Cara and I agree that if, if you're not on board with anti-racism work, we don't really want your money. <laughs> so yeah. it's, we're okay. We're okay with that. We're okay with you going to spend your money somewhere else because that's, it's not worth it. Yeah. And, you know, especially right now where things are so crazy, like with the pandemic and the politicization of science and masks and all kinds, you know, th- different things like that. Um, it's, it, it can also literally be a way to keep ourselves safe. <laughs> um, it's, there's sort of like kind of a perfect storm of all the things right now, but yeah, mm-hmm. we, um, we want, we don't want, we also don't, we're open to people having different opinions than mm-hmm. us. That's, that's always something that we're open to. We are very open to conversation. Um, but we do not want someone who has views that we believe marginalizes other people or actively seeks to tear down someone else's humanity. We don't want that kind of energy in our space. Um, And so, because what we do want in our space is people from all different walks of life who feel comfortable. And what I see happening in politics right now is not just like we just have a difference of opinion it is that sometimes that difference of opinion tears down the other person's humanity and um that is not okay with me right yeah yeah i agree i i think that there's there's a big difference between politics and being a humanitarian (laughs) (laughs) like a huge difference. Um, But yeah, so that's, those are some ways that we have included anti-racism work in our um, business model and in our core value system as a company. And so let's talk about how we do that within our industry as fitness professionals. Where do we see racism pop up? How do we address it? And what can we do to to make those um, spaces more diverse and safe as much as we can for uh, people of color. Mm-hmm. So we don't sell weight loss. No. Nope. <laughs> right. That's huge. Number you one. might think, what the heck does weight loss have to do with racism? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, weight loss and the diet industry became a thing because of slavery. So um, 
there was a time when white women were trying to differentiate themselves from the black bodies of the slaves that they owned. And so um, black bodies started to be characterized as very muscular and curvy and big and white women were sort of attaching themselves to this, this idea of like thinness and even frailness and, um, and things like that. So like a wispy white woman. Um, And that has been a lot of what has driven the diet industry since. And so Mm -hmm. um, while there's always some variations, right? There's, you know, like, oh, okay, well, big butts are okay, but they're better on white women than black women. Like big butts have been a thing for like, I mean, (laughs) but now that now they're okay because white women are trying to get them. (laughs) Right. Um, But, um, and so over time, what that has morphed into is that there is usually like this one ideal body type and all of these other variations of that particular body type are usually not accepted. And when it boils down to it is, is there's that like history and base of racism at at, at the very bottom of this whole idea. Mm-hmm. Is that, am I, am I making sense, Jill? You're making sense to me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's, it boils down to, this goes all the way back to the beginning of when white people came to assert their dominance by differentiating their bodies from black bodies and how that has morphed into um, the diet, the diet culture, the diet industry that we see today. And if you, we've said this before in previous discussions, but if you go Google women's fitness, you'll see thin white women. Mm -hmm. It's sort of laughable. Yeah. There, and you might have to scroll down pretty far even to find a thin white woman with a shirt on. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, that, that is fitness that is the message that a lot of us are receiving on a daily basis. This is the, this is fitness. It's for, it's for white women who want to be thin. Yeah. Um, and so if we think about like what we're told will contributes to like your body weight is like, okay, so weight loss, there's this formula, all different shapes and sizes and prices of like, okay, so food and exercise is, you know, the thing that you focus on. But in reality, food and exercise are not the only two things that contribute to the size and shape of your body. Mm -hmm. Um, Our bodies are affected by genetics and stress and access to resources Mm -hmm. and our race, our hormones, like so many different things affect the size and shape of our bodies. Like, I could eat the exact same diet as Jill and exercise with the exact same program as Jill does. And our bodies would still look different. Mm-hmm. They'd still be different shapes. They'd still weigh different. Probably it's just still weigh slightly different. Like we would not, we, there's not one formula mm-hmm. and, um, but yet we're sort of sold this dream constantly 
And with the outcome being that if we're smaller, we're better. Mm-hmm. And if you know that the smaller is better ideal comes from a racist background, it's very hard to hold on to it for me. Um, and you may be saying, well, what about health? Like, don't you want to lose weight so you can be healthy? Um, we could probably do many podcasts about that particular subject. But um, what it boils down to is that health can come at many sizes. Mm-hmm. Um, there certainly are, like obesity does contribute to some health issues, um, but that's also very complicated. It's not just a, oh, you're, you're overweight, so you're unhealthy. That's not necessarily the case. And there are also many thin people who are, all, who are unhealthy. So being thin doesn't equal health either. And in fact, a lot of people achieve thinness through very unhealthy means. And so um, it, if we can start accepting more bodies in all of the different ways they come, in all the different colors and sizes and shapes that they come, then we can start actually putting our focus on health mm-hmm. and not um, buying into a racist ideal. Right, right. And we, we also have to consider the impact that racism has on a black person, person of color's mm-hmm. health it's, itself. Think mm-hmm. about t- a time that you have been super stressed out. You were probably feeling a little sick. You probably weren't eating as well. You probably had, you know, maybe even elevated blood pressure if you were super stressed out. Like that chronic stress by racism on people of color is, we can't discount that. And if we are fighting racism and doing that within our own industry, it's our responsibility to do what we can to create an inclusive place where people of color can feel safe and accepted, where they can work on their health, where they can, where, where they can walk in and, and see people who look like them, where they can come to smash the patriarchy with us. <laughs> right. So I wanted to have this fitness competition that was like smash the patriarchy, but it was like, squeezing watermelons and smashing the watermelons. I still think it's a good idea. And then we could like raise money with like watermelon smashing for like, you know, like Planned Parenthood or change, color of change or something like that. Right. Yeah. Don't give up on your watermelon dreams. <laughs> once we get past all of 2020, once ash <laughs> stops falling from the sky... Right. It is snowing ash outside right now. Yes. <laughs> then maybe we can come back to the watermelons. <laughs> right. We can revisit the watermelons after the apocalypse. Right. <laughs> yes. So that's all that we have for you today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you like what you hear, make sure that you subscribe to the Push Podcast. Give us a review, like, comment, share. The more um, you like, comment, share, and leave reviews, the more visibility that we have and the more that we can reach people just like you. Yes. Thank you so much. Bye.